AI will not replace auditors, but auditors that use AI will replace auditors that don't. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by BQE Core. As many of you know, I'm all about the niches and niche apps. Putting your business clients in the proper niche app is providing them with a 100% solution versus at best the 85% solution of a standalone accounting app. If you have clients that are architects, engineers, consultants, or lawyers, Core is the app for them to best manage their firm, increase their staff productivity, and ultimately increase their profits. You don't need to juggle between multiple apps. Core has it all and an easy-to-use, all-in-one app for project management, including time and expense tracking, budgets, forecasting, client billing, and accounting. Even though Core is an all-in-one platform, it still works nicely with the apps like Google Drive, Dropbox, OneDrive, QuickBooks, Xero, and AccountWrite, offering you and your clients the maximum amount of flexibility. Core offers a full-function mobile app and recently launched a cutting-edge voice-based assistant for your smart speaker of choice. To learn even more about BQE Core, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash core. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-O-R-E. Did I mention that BQE Core works great for bookkeepers, CPAs, and accounting firms too? Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. And I'm Rachel Fish. Hey, Rachel, thanks for joining us so much uh, on short notice. It's going to be great to have you here for our regular news episode. Hey, no, it's totally my my pleasure. Um, and how it came about was kind of funny. Blake and I we were just talking about actually a previous episode about MindBridge. And I had some thoughts about AI and in accounting and audit. Yeah. And he's like, hey, you should come back and let's talk about this. So here I am. And they're a Canadian company. So you have extra cred they to speak on this. Are, okay. Yeah. Extra special place in my heart for MindBridge. Awesome. So we'll talk about MindBridge. I'm eager to learn more about it and AI in accounting and everything that's going on in that world. But first, some breaking news, or at least a story that has just refused to stop breaking over the last two weeks, the in-sync outage. We're talking about the cloud hosting company. It's a hosting provider of uh, QuickBooks Online. I'm sorry, not QuickBooks Online, QuickBooks Desktop Hosting, as well as Sage Hosting. And they have been out for how long is it, David? We covered it last week. I think it was the uh, June 16th that started. Yeah, and June they, 16th. they reported it publicly to their customers on the 19th, I think it was. Yeah. So almost uh, two weeks now, they've been, at least some customers we're seeing on Twitter are still unable to access their in-sync cloud desktops. So what, that's 13 days. On July 16th, uh, InSync was the victim of a Megacortex ransomware attack. That is the sort of malware that gets into your systems and encrypts files. And then the hackers typically demand payment in Bitcoin to unencrypt them. Paying the hackers, though, doesn't always get your files unencrypted. You're taking a, a bet. And, and so apparently the many people, even though they're able to get into their InSync desktops now, there's still some encrypted files. There's an update on the InSync website as of July 29th. And I should say we're recording July 29th. And this update was at 5.50 Pacific time. So just a few hours ago, it says that, quote, nearly all InSync customers now have access to their InSync desktop. Our work isn't done, though, and we'll continue to work around the clock until every desktop is restored. Your applications may not be immediately accessible and or populate to your account. So they're saying most people have access. They're not able to access all their applications. They also go on to say, while we caught the attack early, the malware was able to encrypt some files. 
We're currently working to determine if they are recoverable. You may see some encrypted files on your desktop with .megacortex as an extension. They are not available to access. I thought I saw somebody tweet that. I think I saw somebody yeah. tweet specifically that, that they had a file on their desktop that was labeled that. Yeah. 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 So that is, uh, that's the current status. It is not, not the best situation. There are definitely still people who aren't able to access. There's folks on Twitter saying that, uh, you know, on, for instance, just recently today, uh, at RH224 said, still can't access and that support lines are ringing busy. Cecilia, username is at it's me underscore Cecilia B said yesterday that she was on hold for over an hour and 10 minutes and their server is still down, can't get through to customer support. So it's uh, very, very unfortunate. And, you know, David, why are we talking about cloud hosting on the cloud accounting podcast, right? We talked about the Mega Cortex a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you did extra research after, remember, the CCH, CCH suffered the same problem. Yep. I feel like it was only four or five weeks ago. Yeah. And then you did the research in the background that Mega Cortex apparently is all tied to some backdoor in Windows that the NSA discovered of vulnerability oh, yeah. and now it's being exploited everywhere. Well, and you found, so you found this, you found that the NSA issued an advisory months ago and specifically to- For Homeland Security. So, so Homeland Security- Oh, Homeland Security. Issued, yes. In October 3rd of 2018, Homeland Security issued a warning to hosting providers that- they have reason to believe there's going to be attacks coming and ransomwares. Do you think these hosting providers were aware of this? Do we know if InSync knew about this Homeland security warning at all? It seems like they were not ready for this. But yeah, I don't, that I don't know. I found this yeah. on, there's a whole site. So we call it desk, QuickBooks desktop hosting in our world, right? Right. Apparently there's a whole other world and they call it uh, managed service providers. Oh, so these are like people who do hosting for all sorts of things, not just all, all kinds of stuff. Or Sage um, or and, and a lot of what they do, they do, and they do a lot of stuff for government agencies as well. Okay. So lots of people use hosting environments. It's not just a QuickBooks hosting thing. So really, I think the if you would take like the niche of QuickBooks hosting, yeah, they're part of a bigger uh, they call it the managed service providers right. space that's out there. Because what I did is I started kind of poking around this weekend, and that's how I found this. We reached out, I reached out on Twitter to Elliot Luchansky, who is the CEO of InSync, and asked him if he would come on the podcast. And he replied very quickly and said, yes, that he would be happy to join the podcast. Uh, he said, thank you for reaching out. I'd be absolutely, I'd absolutely be open to this. In fact, I'd appreciate the platform to speak to these points with a neutral party such as yourself. And we were really excited. We were going to have them on today. It's well, Monday. they even tweeted at us. They yeah. tweeted because they listened to the podcast that we recorded last week and they yeah. listened to it and said, Hey, we got extra clarifications. We'd love to, can't wait to join. And, and then on Friday, we got an email saying, and he backed out. So unfortunately, we, we don't have Elliot on the show to ask him these questions. Like, I still have lots of questions like, how did this happen in the first place? When are these people going to actually get access to their files, right? It, InSync was saying that it would be done this weekend, but apparently it's still not. What about the files that are encrypted? Are those ever going to get unencrypted? Like, we just don't know. And, and maybe Elliot doesn't know either, right? Like at this yeah. point. The ideal situation for him to show up on Monday and be like, everything's fixed, woohoo, right? But yeah. they'd obviously, based on the... What you said was on their site earlier today. They're not out of the weeds yet. And this is, pro I mean, they've probably had a very difficult 14 days. Yeah. Like, and I don't want to speculate, but that's unfortunately all we can do because we also invited him to, if he didn't want to come on the show, send us a statement and then radio silence, nothing. 
At least they put a statement on their website of where they're at now, because I think some yeah. of the problems they've had is that people were accusing them of turning their Twitter account off, doing well, they, fake they tweets, did. deleting Facebook posts or yeah. hiding messages. So, like, so, and this goes back to when we when the whole CCH outage happened. The the way that tech companies handle a crisis like this, this was like classic example of what you shouldn't do. At least in my opinion, I don't know what you think, David, but. What they were doing at first was basically trying to hide it. They deactivated their Twitter account apparently, and then on Facebook they were—I uh, I, don't—I didn't verify this myself, but people are saying that they were deleting or hiding posts from users of, about the outage. And I then, yeah, it's it's Clue Train One Hundred and One. Like again, everybody that has customers should go read the Clue Train Manifesto. Like you cannot control the message. The the the, the conversation is going to happen with or without you, and you have mm-hmm. to jump in and join the conversation. You cannot control the conversation. You just can't. It's impossible in this day and age. So that's what we know about InSync. The last thing I want to talk about on this subject is Intuit, because you know I have to pull into it into everything, right, David? It's <laughs> like my job, apparently. So. One of the sites that uh, I discovered, I think it was somebody on Twitter pointed it out to me, or maybe you found it, David. It's the Intuit Hosting Program website, intuithostingprogram.com. This is a site that lists the authorized hosting companies. So apparently, in order to host QuickBooks, you're actually supposed to be authorized by Intuit. And there's a, a wall of logos on this site. It looks like one, two, three, four, five, sixteen companies listed as authorized commercial hosting providers. Yeah, they almost have like two tiers, like a premium authorized hosts and then like right. a second tier or some type. Yeah. So if I were a QuickBooks desktop customer, this is where I would probably go first to find a host because I'm looking for somebody who Intuit is recommending to me, right? And right up at the top, it says, the headline is, are you using an Intuit authorized hosting company? Quote, Intuit partners with more than 20 companies who are thoroughly screened to ensure your data is safe and that your business is not at risk. Intuit authorized hosting companies are listed below. If you have any questions, please contact hostinginfo at intuit.com. So that to me means, oh, hey, Intuit is vouching for the security of these providers, right? My business is not at risk. But then Byron Patrick... Directed us to the frequently asked questions because Byron. So he's uh, Byron underscore CPA on Twitter. That- yeah, and he yeah. previously worked in the hosting world. And on the frequently asked questions, which is available via the menu, there is a a list of questions. The second to the last one, and you have to actually unfurl it to get this answer. The second to the last question says, "What does the authorized commercial host and authorized standard host statement and logo mean?" Um, And it says, this statement and logo mean only that Intuit has entered into a written agreement with the commercial or standard host, which legally authorizes them to remotely host certain versions of QuickBooks software for access and usage by properly licensed end users. It does not mean that Intuit sponsors, certifies, prefers, or is officially or exclusively partnered with commercial or standard hosts. Now, another question on the frequently asked questions is, right above that, is my data secure when using the Intuit hosting program? The answer While Intuit provides legal authorization to participating hosts, Intuit does not certify, guarantee, or warrant individual commercial and standard host services or hosting environments. The commercial and standard hosts who participate in the program are solely responsible for the security, privacy, availability, and backup of QuickBooks data files and the software that they host in accordance with their end-user hosting service agreements. So that seems to completely disavow any responsibility and does not match up with what I'm seeing on that commercial hosting program page. 
I don't, I, I look at that page. I can tell you that based on my experience, like it's the page is a little old based on the branding. Yeah. Right. And the format of the page. So it does feel like it's a little bit old. The other reason the thing I'd suspect that that page is a little old and out of date as well is the fact that yeah. some of these companies have merged with some of the other companies. But what oh, and they still have about, the separate logos. Yeah. What yeah. concerns me about that page is doing a little bit of Google searches, just type that company name in ransomware, type that company name in hacked. Four of these companies on that page have now been ransomware. So this is four of 20. Well, and I think one of them's in that second tier, whatever the, I don't understand those yeah. two levels that they have there. So three, three of the, three of the top 16 or the commercial hosting providers have been ransomware. And then this, there's like the standard hosting program, which has another, what, uh, 20, a dozen or it's 20 or something like that. Yeah. But, but that four of them, four of these companies have been ransomed does like, that does not, uh. We could start playing bingo on this thing, right? But, but if you but if you just go like make the circle a little bit bigger to tax software, and then now CCH that's five, yeah. right? Like is this becoming this is in the meantime, I can think of one. So so apps.com, there's like what six hundred fifty apps there, right? Yeah, um, they all go through security review once a year to get stay on apps.com. Um, you think quick uh, QuickBooks Online zero all the SaaS products that are out there, yeah. small business, but. I, I can only think of, there was one comply right, uh, which is I think people know them as e-file for biz. They did have a data breach, but it's none of but nobody suffered. You know the true SaaS players don't seem to be suffering this. It's these hosting players that are having these problems. Yeah, well, it's because as we've said, hosting relies on old technology that is fundamentally unsecure because it relies on Windows as the server. Time and time again, we've seen that the whole just like foundation of it is not secure. There's many holes, and people are discovering new ones all the time. So there is a, a an opt-ed type opinion piece that's um, in one of these managed server server provider websites. It's a wake up call to his industry. Like if we keep getting hacked like this, our whole industry is going to collapse. Yeah. And so we'll have that in the show notes to to read. And then I'm going to get a tweet to read that is from Jack Newton. He is the founder of Clio Law Firm Software, which is law firm software in the cloud. And I think they've seen, they have the same with, with law, old legacy law firm software, a lot of that's hosted. And they're yeah, lawyers, a yeah. lot of law firms use these hosted environments. And he actually had a really good quote that I want to get. And so while I pull that up, Blake, why don't you tell us your next little piece of this you have? You know, my take on this is just that InSync owes more to its customers. As a CPA who has been in practice, I'm just so offended by the response on behalf of the customers. If I were a customer, this would not be acceptable to be down for two weeks and not have access to my files. There really should have been backups available instantly. And as a software guy, I sympathize because I work for a tech company now and I have a behind the scenes view into the the difficulty in you know securing uh, environments, but that doesn't excuse the really, really poor response, both to the customers and frankly to us when we're trying to find information out for the community to say you're going to come on the show and then not come on the show. I think it's cowardly and just reflects a really poor understanding of modern public relations and how you are supposed to interact with your customers and the press, if we can even be called that. But I would hope that somebody would think of us at least as, you know, representing the community or trying to find out stuff on behalf of the community. So 
that's my take. Okay, so I found uh, Jack's quote here, and let me. Uh, this is a tweet from Jack Newton. So this is the CEO of Clio, the online law firm management That's software. He, so, uh, quote unquote, hosted cloud solutions are the unholy combination of on-premise and cloud technologies, combining the worst aspects of on-prem with a quote unquote false cloud. Hopefully, this devastating ransomware attack highlights how dangerous this model is and helps kill it. That says it all. And I mean, just from my opinion on this is I, I feel like you're kind of, you're paying a premium, right? I think I mentioned this in last week's episode. You're, you're outsourcing your IT. All the marketing materials from all these companies is we're going to keep you from being hacked. We have IT. We have all the security, right? You're, outs- you're paying a premium to outsource your IT department. Yeah. And in a way, you're becoming a bigger target because now instead of it just being you, you know, lonely. Your small you know, firm, yeah. Small firm. Nobody cares that you even exist. They're not actively targeting you now you just pulled yourself in with thousands of other accountants yeah and now you're a target and like it's you're paying a premium to get ransomware it's it's yeah. it's a little bit in, insane and and i kind of feel like is the pendulum completely swung the other way now where you're putting your clients at risk because you have them on hosted when yeah. maybe well, you really need to swing the other way to true quickbooks online zero true true yeah. SaaS model Either that or it needs to be a provider that you have personally vetted, you understand their security policies in the same way that you would vet your own at your office. And we just can't trust that these folks are doing it. And the irony, of course, is that InSync has a blog post called Five Ways to Avoid a Ransomware Attack. Uh, that's marketing. That's how it's always going to happen. And just to, to let, like, uh, obviously, Rachel's here. Hey, guys. And, hey, Rachel. And, and Rachel <laughs> yeah. did make it. She's like, oh, it, we had to inform Rachel, which was... This is not just a QuickBooks story. They, Rachel's yeah. the Sage, and they right. do Sage hosting as well. So this is affecting so, bigger, bigger influence. Yeah, you know. So Rachel, I know this is like not your story. You didn't know we were necessarily going to talk about this or anything. Like, That's I'm okay. just curious to know when people ask you like about Sage hosting or whatnot. Like, how does Sage handle this? Or like, you know, what do you guys say? So I, I can't speak to the security thing, but I think one of the things that I get a lot of is that. A lot of people, I think, equate Sage with desktop. And I think that we historically, we've had really strong desktop provider, I mean, programs, which is great to fill that need. Um, But I think I kind of need to announce to the world, hey, guys, we've got a ton of cloud native products as well. Um, We are actively migrating uh, cloud or Sage desktop files to Sage Cloud. We do have like... We're working with firms who are going full on cloud. So mm-hmm. it feels like it's a, you know, Sage desktop versus, you know, cookbooks and zero cloud world. And it, and it just isn't. So we're actually facing yeah. the exact same things, right? Where it's like cloud hosted does not equal native cloud, right? We're having all yeah. of the same conversations. So, um, so I, I'd be interested to see what, you know, what kind of um, authorizations are like, you know, in this case where it's got the Intuit hosted authorized hosting team and whatever that looks like, I would definitely be interested to see what that looks like on the Sage side to see if there are any extra steps that we take to protect the clients for sure. Well, I don't know a ton about like the Sage desktop products, Mm -hmm. but I do know that it's some of the products have what I've I've heard described as a hybrid cloud where the, the file is it's it's like you take the file and and Sage puts it into the cloud and then you can read write to that file, but you're still using the desktop 
interface and software? Yeah. So, the, I mean, there's different, there's different models. And, and the idea yeah. is that um, you're able to work fully in the desktop in a cloud-connected environment or be able to collaborate with the desktop file with your client. So, for example, there's something like Sage Drive where I can use it with my local drive and then I can save it in Sage Drive. And then my client's going to take it down and do the work and then put it back in Sage Drive so that I can collaborate. But I mean, essentially, that's just our own self hosting, but then at least you've got our brand behind that. And we're not trying to verify other users or other companies. Right. And that's where I think Intuit may have made a mistake in this program, which is in creating these commercial authorized hosting providers, consumers don't know what that means. Right. right? They, they, They see the Intuit brand or the logo on the website and they think that this is safe. And it's clearly not because it's not like Intuit is going in and auditing these providers. I guess they have the right to do so. But from what I'm hearing online, like this doesn't happen. So really, they're just trusting these providers. It's really, it's a financial relationship. So people don't read like all of the terms and conditions and FAQs when they sign up for this stuff. I'm shocked. <laughs> Amazingly, right? I'm shocked. Yeah. So <laughs> like if, if Intuit isn't going to force people to go from desktop to online and they're going to allow people to keep doing hosting, then I think they should provide it themselves to like ensure security. That's just my take. And maybe this is that domino that that pushes that that way, right? Uh, and it's interesting because if you go back, uh, we talked about after scaling new heights, um, right networks, right? It, they're now they're basically locking down their system a little bit. They're going to make everybody use a, a, a web-based interface, all the apps, so you don't install apps to those machines. So they're really locking down their environment even tighter because they ultimately it is like having hundreds and hundreds of Windows computers just sitting there with anybody doing anything mm-hmm. they want to them. And of course, something's going to accidentally, yeah. like, even on accident, even if they're not purposely attacked, somebody's going to accidentally get something infected. Yeah. And so there's a lot of, lots of risks to this. I'm Should we talk about other news or? I was just going to say, David, I'm looking forward to the article that will be in the show notes later that talks about kind of the, the demise of, of hosting, because I feel like if you, if they are just now saying, Hey guys, if this continues, we might be in trouble. <laughs> they're how many years too late? Like so yeah. you're, you're already in trouble. We already need to, you know, be moving on to be, you know, going full cloud. I think if, I think if anyone was smart right now, they would really take this hosting spin, you know, on a marketing trip and say, Hey, we'll like do all your migrations for free. And, you know, we'll get you over to the cloud where it really is secure. But I mean, then again, today I was yeah. just talking to a Facebook group owner who said that um, a bunch of his loyal followers were saying that they think the cloud is just a fad. So I like, <laughs> what? <laughs> anyway, there are still, I guess there are still people who will continue to use these services you know? as long as they seem secure. So we'll see. I'm okay with being a fad as long as we're the snap bracelet of fads because those <laughs> things are awesome. Like I, my son has one, right? Like they don't go away. So we'll be around for a while. Great. Great, and, great. And, and they haven't. The, the big problem is the marketing, which I bugged me, is it grays the cloud computing. I agree. World, right? It confuses people. I, yeah. You know, I'm doing my normal, like, not research about this. I was just getting regular articles, do my normal weekly, like, reading of articles and news feeds, you know, and stories for the show. And I see this one with this headline. It says six ways how cloud computing improves the accounting practices. I was like, hey, that could be a possible story for the show. I click on it, I start reading it. Guess what it's about? Hosting desktop. Oh. <laughs> And that yeah, does man. not help anybody because I think yeah. there's – and I've talked to pro-advisors. I've talked to uh, small business owners. There's people that think they use QuickBooks in the cloud and they're using QuickBooks hosted. And they don't know because the messaging is so wrong. Yeah, that, that, so that, wrong. And, and maybe if anything happens out of this is there's some marketing requirements and clarification of like you can't say you are QuickBooks in the cloud. You have to say right. you are 
QuickBooks desktop hosted maybe just to mm-hmm. create clarity yeah, on this because it's not it, it, it's not it's not that it's deceiving I mean it's marketing right and that's a great yeah. word but it drives me crazy because they've been doing that for six years yeah now that's been I mean I talk, talking when the cloud was first coming out and you'd see those bookkeepers going I've been in the cloud for 10 years I'm like no you're desktop hosted like that's yeah. not cloud native there's a huge difference This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Rewind. For years, Rewind has been successfully backing up thousands of small businesses' data that is stored in cloud apps like Shopify, BigCommerce, and MailChimp, saving these small businesses from CSV import errors, employee mistakes, and app integrations that didn't go as planned. Rewind has also been backing up QuickBooks Online company data too. That's right, Cloud Accounting World. I did say backup QuickBooks Online company data. It only takes seconds to install what is essentially an insurance policy against major disaster for just those small business owners that like to get, quote, creative in the accounting system. Rewind works automatically in the background, capturing all the changes to your QuickBooks Online in real time. If something does go wrong, Rewind is the only service that gives you 100% control of what you need to restore, be it one transaction, multiple transactions, or all the data. To learn even more about Rewind and access a special offer just for listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash rewind. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash R-E-W-I-N-D. Hey, so I don't want to run out of time yeah. uh, be- as much as I love talking about Right. Oh, right. We've got other things to talk about. Yeah. 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 So uh, Rachel, uh, let's talk about AI and audits because I am obsessed with AI. <laughs> I love it. I did a webinar recently about AI for accountants, but I never talked about audit really. And, and okay. well, only at a high level. So I'm just, yeah. What, what, what is going on in that in that world. Sure. Well, I think that I think that AI is one of those things, you know, along with chatbots and blockchain and cryptocurrency. Anyway, there's a lot of buzzwords mm-hmm. that happen when you're talking about technology in accounting and 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 in accounting firms. And it just seems like AI is getting a little bit more traction in certain applications than things like blockchain and stuff like that. And I know mm-hmm. Blake, you've mentioned, you know, the um, Deloitte controllership um, surveys where it's like nobody is doing anything with blockchain, but who is doing something with what, right? And so what I've seen about AI is that, and this came up in a previous podcast when you guys were talking about MindBridge. So MindBridge.ai is the website based out of Ottawa here in Canada. We were talking about, they raised a bunch of money, right? That yes. Was that the story? That's yeah. The, that, yeah, that's what made it, that's what got it to hit your headlines there. Um, so you and you so, know them because they're in, sorry, you said Ottawa? I apologize. Ottawa, yeah. No, they're in Ottawa and Canada. Of course, every Canadian knows every other Canadian. So I know those yeah, guys. Yeah. No, they're, they just... <laughs> <laughs> they they happen to be stage partners of ours. We run in the same circles. We've got a lot of the same partnerships. They're um, a really great team over there. They're a really real pleasure to work with. And so you and I just kind of got chatting about, you know, so what does this look like? Um, and I think one of the interesting things about AI and audit is that everybody can understand what an audit is. When you talk about how to integrate AI with like accounting services, of course, we've seen how successful or not successful that is in some areas. But when yeah. it comes to audit, it is literally eyes on paper, you know, reading GL reports and aligning things for hours and weeks and months at a time, right? This is the work of yep. auditors. And so to me, this is such a natural case study to introduce technology like with AI. And so MindBridge has created an AI auditor tool, and that's all it does. It reads data and it highlights risk. 
Easy peasy. That's all it does. And when you say data, is this my GL? I, I sh- yeah. share this into MindBridge? Yeah. So it has direct integrations as well as flat file uploads. So for example, one of the, um, I think it was Robin Grasset who narrated a five minute AI auditor overview on the website is actually done mm-hmm. from an Excel file ripped from Sage 50. Um, but it also has direct integrations. So like, for example, Intact, you could connect MindBridge with Intact, a direct integration, and it could automatically pull and feed the information that you want. And so essentially what it is, is a 100% data sample where it simply categorizes by risk. So it's got your high risk, your medium risk, your low risk. Of course, there are things like settings and, and configurations that come into play here. But to me, this tool used in this way is the most clear example of the benefit of AI in an accounting application when it comes to audit. We're, we're getting rid of sampling. We're, we're instead of sampling, yeah. we, to fi- we are auditing literally 100% of the GL. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I mean, so why the, isn't everybody using this right now? Right. Well, so here's the so here's the thing, and I've been kind of on a mission to find this out. So first of all, yeah. MindBridge is having some incredible successes. They have some amazing partnerships. They're going into universities, like they're doing all of the right things to get the word out. They've got amazing content and marketing teams. Like yeah, they've yeah. been doing a phenomenal job. So then, if that's the case. Why do so many accounting firms either not know what it is or are not implementing it in their firms? And I came down to three challenges. So first is the is one of the reasons that I've been told is that audit regulation and standards currently do not allow for non-human auditors. Now, here's the challenge with that piece is that I have yet to actually find audit standards and regulations that indicate that it needs a certain number of human signatures or a certain number. Like I don't, I, I'm simply not, I'm not a CPA myself. I don't get so to this see is, what those are. So this is what people are saying. Like, this is what the this resistance is, is saying. Yes. This is what the okay. resistance is saying. What I don't know is if those are valid. So if there happen to be right. any CPAs listening to this, um, and I'm guessing that this is something that is going to vary by state society or by country that you're certified in, yeah. but to see what exactly is it about the audit regulation that may limit technology in this. Now, the challenge with that also is that in many cases where standards and regulations aren't keeping up to snuff, sometimes a groundswell of momentum is enough to start changing some of those standards and regulations as well. So that's the first one. The second one is that too many firms think that larger sample size actually equals more problems. So they want to keep the audits limited to smaller sample sizes. And this I've seen as well is that why do we want to sample 100% of the data if we're just going to find more problems and then we're just going to have to fix the problems or then it's just creating more problems for everybody? Yeah, this just this just blows my mind. Like, and this is... <laughs> and just keep in mind, these are... Multiple people I mean, have told me this. Yeah. 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 No, I, I completely believe it. It's like exactly the opposite of what an auditor is supposed to think and do. Right. And like, yes, the, I the, would I, think... The, I, yeah. My thing the ideal is, situation. Yeah, please. Go if ahead. I'm only I just, I sampling, what am I missing? Right? right. If I don't yeah. do 100% data, I'm going to not select for my sample those exact things yeah. that, right? Well, yeah. And this is, this is exactly the problem with like the big problem with audit 
everywhere, Generally, it seems to be yeah. in general, is that auditors are selected and paid by their clients. Yes. So the clients don't want the auditors to find problems. And so the auditors don't want to find problems either, right? It just sure. creates more work for the auditors and it makes the clients unhappy. So the, the goal of a really crappy auditor, or at least an auditor who doesn't care about the quality of the audit, is to do the least amount of work to pass muster yeah. without and, and and minimize the amount of stuff you find. And For like sure. so that attitude, I don't I understand why that attitude exists, but it just it just points out the massive problem with the incentives. Like I, I hate it. I, I totally agree. And that actually leads to the third challenge. Uh, Blake, it's almost like we've talked about this before, is that firms, they don't know how to charge for automation, right? How do I right, now right, deal yeah. with the internal billing structure that goes with doing a job in six hours instead of three weeks? Like they were talking about a 20 to 900 times um, more likely to be on our, sorry, let me get that quote right. MindBridge AI customers have shown that errors are 20 to 900 times more likely to be uncovered with our AI testing components contributing to the analysis. And the time savings yeah. is like I can do in one hour what would take me five hours or um, the one example that I, I had already also sorry, was six hours instead of three weeks um, of doing a manual audit. Like, why do you not want to get this work done faster or better? I'm sorry, say that time savings again. Get done in six, one person in six hours, what had previously taken two people, three weeks, three full weeks to do. But yeah, the challenge I is that it. an accounting firm knows how to charge for two people for three weeks. Right. Right. Yeah. Why yeah. would they, don't know they how have to, yeah. zero motivation to charge for yeah. one person for six hours? But as you can see, like I, I'm going to include in the show notes, um, there's a Michael is interview from ICAW talking about um, the I don't know how to pronounce it, whether it's carry on or Carillion, you know, the big construction. Oh, yeah, yeah, Carilli I, I say Carillion, but okay. I have no idea. Um, but and PwC, I believe it was PwC that was auditing that one, but they've had major lawsuits between PwC and KPMG, specifically in the audit department, for doing a really crappy job. Um, and there is, with this kind of technology out there, there absolutely is zero use or cause for it anymore. So. It's, this is amazing, Rachel. Thank you so much for coming on and explaining that. I, I, I just want to say out there, like to anyone, like, I changed my mind, Rachel, as a result of this. I used to think that client accounting services was the biggest opportunity for accounting firms right now, like big ones. I actually got it. Yeah, I think after listening to you, it's audit. Like, and I just want to put it out there. Like, hey, if you're at a top 100 firm and you're looking for somebody to fix your, to like restructure your audit department to use AI technology and get you on fixed fee billing, you can pay, come and pay me a million dollars and I'll do it for you because it's <laughs> so easy. It's so easy. Yeah, just I'm I'm like open invitation, right? Like, yeah. and it would be like, I mean, the re the realization, like, if you, if like, it would just be mine. It would be amazing. You basically double your profits or triple or quadruple. Yeah. I'm just yeah. going to end with my favorite quote from John Colthart. Um, I'm just going to call him GM of MindBridge because he wears a couple of hats. But he says, AI will not replace auditors, but auditors that use AI will replace auditors that don't, which oh, I think is so true. Quote. Amazing. Well, we got two amazing quotes in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. That so is fantastic. <laughs> so, so just to break it to both of you, this is not a mindset of just auditors and accounting firms. Yeah. So coming up, this is a, this is a lot of managers maybe is the way to think about this. So back in my QA days, right. There's yeah. 
there's people QA is kind of like audit, right? You're you're running a quality bunch of tests, assurance. quality assurance. So you're running a bunch of tests, and so the. QA person managers love the most is a QA person that gets done first. Hey, I ran all my tests and I found no bugs, right? (laughs) Because if you find a bug, it's got to be tracked. You have to have somebody make a decision. You have to have an engineer look at it. You have to have an engineer fix it. You have to maybe change documentation. It's very expensive when you find a bug. But to be honest, like you probably, it's much cheaper to find the bug in the development cycle than to have a customer find the bug and then fix it after the fact. But right. it's just, it's the same mindset. People would much rather have five QA people come back and say, we're done with our testing. We found no bugs because it looks better in reports. It's just easier. All in, It's all about setting up the right incentives. Hey, so um, let's, let's, let's try to get a few more stories in before we got to go. We don't have a lot of time. I got, I got a story here about um, where should we be looking for top accounting talent? Sure. So you guys know that I like the hinge research Institute. Lee Fredrickson over there has a post on accounting today, exactly on that topic. They did some research. And tell me what you think about this. A recent study conducted by the Hinge Research Institute revealed that most accounting firms still defer to traditional approaches for attracting prospects, meaning they're using job ads, fares, topping the list, right? But unfortunately, the data says that's not where top prospects are looking for the next career move. The the number one way that that top talent wants to get recruited is on LinkedIn. That's where they're going to find and research possible new employers. So that's 86% of job seekers. But only 66% of firms are actively using LinkedIn for job candidates, a 20 percentage point gap. So that's the takeaway, right? If you want to recruit and retain top talent, you got to get away from this old, you know, job fairs and, um, and ads, and you got to be on online. Well, it's the definition of insanity, right? Like when I, I go and I talk to all the firms that I do, and I talk to hundred, you know, hundreds of thousands in a year, and and they they are very clear about um, re recruiting is one of their top um, challenges, retention and retraining. Those three things are not technological issues or technology issues. Those are people issues. The challenge is that they're not changing anything about how the firm is structured to actually change that. So in this case, it's, we're going to keep doing the same things. We know things are changing. We know we want different things out of our employees now, but we're going to keep doing the same thing and hope for different candidates. Like yep. it's, it's all the same pipeline at this point. You've got to start changing the pipeline. <laughs> That's great. Well, uh, what else, what else is new in the world, David? I got two quick uh, IRS related stories. So let's, let's hear for, it. For two uh, kind of related things, crypto and cash. Okay. So this week, uh, the IRS is now sending out letters. They've sent out what it calls our quote unquote educational letters to taxpayers that it is identified of, for folks that have not reported their virtual currency transactions or reporting them incorrectly. Yeah, educational letters is just code for like threats, right? I mean, these are, <laughs> I saw some of these letters basically saying like, report your crypto profits <laughs> or you are screwed, right? Well, they're, they're, they're intended right. to help taxpayers understand their tax filing obligations for cryptocurrency. <laughs> oh, um, but okay. the big uh, one is that by 10,000 letters are going to go out by the end of August. So yeah. chances are, if you're in tax, you might, you're probably going to come across something. Well, I'm glad it's like 10,000 because uh, that means I probably am not getting caught up in this uh, since, you know, way more than that, way more people than that are transacting in cryptocurrency. And then on the other story, uh, the CEO of a pot company in Colorado, John Lord, 
went to the bank with $3 million in physical cash to make a deposit or to, or I'm sorry, to a local IRS office to make his, <laughs> pay his federal taxes. I would have, I wish I had like been working at that office that day. How cool would that be? Yeah. Like, and he, re, he recently testified. Um, there's a committee looking into, you know, figuring yeah. out how to deal with uh, bank regulations because a lot of people don't want to touch this money because they're afraid the DA yeah. is going to come in. So banks don't want to touch this. And he testified there that he once rented a bank, a former bank, just so he could use the vault to store all his cash. That's amazing. And and these are legit guys running around with that much cash. Hey, Rachel, cannabis is legal in Canada. Uh, Uh, Yes. Do you guys... So you you don't have a problem with banking, right? With it? It's Uh, not like here, right? We will take your money. Wow. (laughs) Actually, um, we... Yeah. No, I think um, the cannabis industry has been um, interesting for lots of different and other subsequent industries or related industries. Well, you know, here in the U.S., we still like to use paper checks. And for certain <laughs> things, we like to use physical paper money. Yes. So that's that's how that's how we, we roll. Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> just, uh, how much money is in that uh, industry? And kind of a preview, yeah. we uh, last week at the accounting and finance show in L.A., we did interview uh, – Somebody, uh, an accountant, uh, him and his son that are Bruce Anderson Anderson, and Thomas Anderson, Thomas Anderson, who uh, team up and they take on um, cannabis clients. And it was a very good interview and it ties into this. Yeah, we'll we'll be releasing that in the in the next few weeks. Um, I got a story here that I've been hoarding that I haven't had a chance to talk about, but I I feel like we should because I keep thinking back onto it. Remember the Expensify uh, two chains? Super yeah. Bowl yeah. ad, oh, yeah, yeah. commercial. Yeah. You know, Expensify man, they like to blow their entire marketing budget in one thing every year, right? If it's a, a, a invite only conference in Bora Bora, or if it is you know a, a music video with Two Chains and Adam Scott from Parks and Recreation. Well, uh, I, I I'm still cu- I'm really curious to know how that paid off for them. Like if it paid off, ROI, if they got a ton of yeah. these, yeah, like because like the, I, I you know. Is it worth spending? I don't know how much they spent, but I'm guess like, like say five million bucks, right, to do that whole thing. Uh, well, they did win seven awards at the Cannes uh, International Festival of Creativity for their music video. Uh, among the awards were the top prize, the Gold Lion, in the categories of production of exclusive artist content in partnership with a brand or cause and use of original music. So I thought it was a special effect. You can take a photo of a receipt and put it into an accounting <laughs> system. This must be special what? effects. This is magic. Yeah, amazing. Right? I'm sure it's just a fad, right? All those clap you. <laughs> it's just a fad. Yeah, exactly. How trendy is uh, that? What else? I got, I got lots more stories, but I don't want to monopolize. I just want to, you might have to cut this in, Blake. It just, um, David, yeah. it took me a little while to find David. It's about the RS, IRS thing. So there's this post going around social media right now about the RS announce, IRS announcement. It says, confusing, doing your taxes, confusing error, understanding cryptocurrencies, confusing est, doing your taxes when you own cryptocurrencies. <laughs> the IRS is sympathetic, but Uncle Sam waits for no one. And then it goes on with the announcement of the rest of the post. So I thought that was pretty entertaining. That's clever. That's Anytime that's you can awesome. attach a meme to an IRS announcement, right? like, by all means, right? It should be done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and of course, like for those who are not familiar with the problems of taxation and cryptocurrency, the big issue is that the IRS treats it as an asset. So every single transaction, you have to compute gains and losses. Right, and not a currency, and just makes, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and of course, valuing cryptocurrency is difficult because there is no 
NASDAQ for crypto. There's no, there, there is no like market maker, single market maker. And so like, how do you choose what numbers to use? So there's an entire software world now actually just around like importing your crypto transactions and calculating all those gains and losses. I met an app last week. I cannot remember the name of it, but essentially you connect all 5,000 different possible crypto wallets that are out there and they'll track yeah. all your, it's, it's almost like um, online bank feeds but for your right. crypto transactions. They pull it all together and they let you know your gains and losses and then do export files yep. out for tax software. Thank God for that, right? Otherwise, it would be really it'd be Excel nightmare. Um, oh, speaking of Excel, and we talked about malware earlier, uh, Microsoft Excel has a feature that can be abused for malware distri distribution. Oh, no. If you have Power Query enabled in Microsoft Excel, which comes turned on by default, apparently hackers can abuse Power Query, which has this feature where it goes out to other servers and pulls in data from the internet, right? Which kind of an open backdoor. Uh, you could, if you open up the wrong Excel file and you have Power Query turned on, it can be used to run malicious code on your system with minimal interaction. So just a warning, uh, Microsoft has decided not to patch it because that is actually an intended feature of Power Query. So just do not open up an Excel file from somebody you don't know. Wow. That's all, that's all you can do. Yeah. So the future of accounting um, is not Excel? I just wanted to be clear. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, maybe I, I, don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> well, let our listeners decide. Okay. Especially if it's an attachment. <laughs> don't don't use attachments of Excel. Yeah. I have some uh, stories on small business lending. Remember, we've been talking about this, and we've been wondering like how viable some of these companies are. Yeah, in some direction. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So there's definitely a lot of changes happening in that space as we speak. So, so the first story is uh, SMB lender on deck is actively pursuing a bank charter. And so oh. they, they said they're act because they want to offer a wider range of product products and find cost mm -hmm. efficiencies. But really, if you read deeper in the article, effective August third, JP Morgan Chase is no longer intends to originate new small business loans through them, through Ondex platform. Really? Um, I now wonder they are why looking, that is. They are looking to partner with others. Um, one thing that I initially thought was, you know. Because Intuit and Quick, or, sorry, QuickBooks, QuickBooks Capital, Intuit is very deeply involved with Chase. Like, is that going to be an announcement we see soon? Is a deeper partnership with QuickBooks Capital? Um, mm -hmm. The one thing that was in the article that I thought was really interesting was the stats. So, online lenders approved fifty-seven percent of all small business loan applications in June. Fifty percent were approved at small banks and twenty-seven percent at big banks. So, it's very obvious that this model of these app first models that have access to accounting data are giving out the most loans. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And probably not the highest quality loans. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I'm just going to say, why else would Chase be getting out of it? Yeah. And so maybe they've had some bad results. And so just another loan player, Lendio, who's also in this space, they've taken it one more step further. They actually acqu completely acquired an accounting app. They acquired an accounting app, Billy, rebranded it as a new product called Sunrise. And they're giving you away for free. So use this app to do all your cloud accounting and mm -hmm. they can target loans to you. What's interesting though, buried in their article is, I'm going to read the quote here. Okay. You tell me what this okay. sounds like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you sign up for a paid version, Sunrise will assign a bookkeeper within 48 hours and moving forward, they'll reconcile your books each month. Wait, what? All right, I'll read this wow. again. Tell me what this <laughs> sounds like. Yeah. When you oh. sign up for a paid version... Sunrise, yeah. which is the accounting app, will yeah. sign a bookkeeper within 48 hours. And moving forward, they will reconcile your books each month. 
Yeah, that sounds very familiar. It's another QuickBooks Live play. Everybody's doing it. Now, this is this is a small business lender that's doing a QuickBooks Live play. Wow, that's a new one. I had and not, then, uh, yeah. I mean, you're, we're seeing, we're continuing to see this convergence of bank or pay, bank and or payments um, plus GL and then plus a service piece, right? Like, I mean, name H&R Block and Wave, right? Books to tax plus they've got service providers. Um, what else was that? Oh, RBC in Canada. So the Royal Bank of Canada acquired WayPay, um, which is a payments provider. And then they're also working with small business and they've got some other things going on as well. Like, I think we're just going to continue to see these multiple convergences of like bank and payments, GL, and then some level of service. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think in the past, like you and I have talked about, this is kind of the Wild West, right? A lot of these companies are yep. based out of Utah because there's no limits on usury to, uh, that you can charge. Well, there is news now. California has proposed lending rules and it's, they're getting more support for this. So the Department of Business Oversight, they've uh, worked with um, a com- the, I, I'm taking this as a coalition, the Responsible Business Lending Coalition. And they are uh, producing legislation or proposing legislation regulation to control truth and lending protections for small business owners. Mm-hmm. And so I'll just read the quote from them. The proposed regulations recognize that small business financing has changed as many small businesses now commonly pay effective APRs of higher than 50% and sometimes as high as 350% without these rates ever being disclosed again to them. Yeah. And that's one thing I think I've always felt about all these alternative lending situations. It's like very easy. Click here, get $10,000. And then you're kind of paying it back. They're gray. It's half invoice refactoring. It's half not. It's very confusing. And people don't know the rates they're paying. So I'm in favor of regulations to require these lenders to disclose the APR on any of these transactions. But I... I am not supportive of restricting businesses from taking these loans if they want to, because some may have no other option. And if they think it's a good idea, then fine, right? They're they're business owners. And I think it's, it's fundamentally, it's different than like usury laws around payday loans, because some of the, that that's an education problem, right? And I don't know, I, I just, I'm not, I'm not a fan of, I, I think there should be disclosure, but not necessarily like restricting the amount that can be charged. Yeah, I think we're going to see more about this as well, because I, I think, again, uh, we've talked about it before, Elizabeth Warren. This is another thing that could show up and to become a political issue for the election. Oh, Small yeah. Elizabeth loans. Warren loves to... She wants to be on the podcast. Lo- loves to tell <laughs> me. I think she wants to be uh, on our podcast. I would, I would love to have Elizabeth Warren on the podcast to ask her about cloud accounting and what the government should be doing to regulate <laughs> cloud accounting. Uh, I have another... Uh, some. Uh, Kind of related to payments. That's going to blow your mind. Okay. All right. So this is a, the headline is MasterCard tackling AP automations last mile. But this article had two amazing stats. So they're talking about a little bit more enterprise, bigger companies, Fortune 500, right? 59% of firms have yet to tackle payments automation. You know, doesn't surprise me. This is the better one. Sad stat, but what's the other one? Paper checks make up 51% of corporate payments. Wow. Oh, boy. Yeah, and imagine being that Canadian company that's getting all those checks from U.S. <laughs> customers. Like you're like God. No more, ah. please, no more. No, well, right. I mean, this is this no to more. me. This is yeah. one of the glaringly ways in which the U.S. is behind pretty much everywhere else, right? Like if you talk to an Australian or if you talk to somebody from the U.K. or from Europe, they're like, "We went away, did away with checks like how many years ago?" Canadians, we still use them, but they are certainly 
an exception. They are not right. It's yeah. how do I pay one out of my hundred people who I'm doing a payroll run for that one person who still wants a check, but it, they're yeah. just so it's so prevalent in the, in the U S that I don't know what's going to start yeah. bending or tipping I, that. I well, I think it's going to be the next recession because I, I love these metric of the month stats that they have on CFO.com that I share from the APQC uh, benchmarking surveys. And one that keeps coming back that I keep using in presentations I give is that the least efficient corporate finance departments have four times more employees than the most efficient ones. If you're efficient, you can have 25% yeah. of the staff of an inefficient department. And that is mostly because of people with paper checks. Like it's literally, that's probably well, I mean, a but lot all of it. the stats, like the so. amount that it costs, the amount of time that it costs to process a check, the amount of money it costs to process a check, like yeah. all of the data is pointing that I don't know if it maybe has to do with the fact that there are 7,000 banks in Canada, as opposed to like the five main ones in Canada and the four main ones in Australia. But I certainly think that probably has something to do with it. Just the ability to move money. Right. Yeah. So uh, any other stories before we go? Uh, I think Gusto raised another 200 million. They are going to expand oh, yeah. the East Coast. And I think the interesting one is they plan on building out something called Gusto Flexible Pay. That's for employees. Have you, this, I know you mentioned payday loans before. So it's not yeah. a payday loan, but there's another company that also does this earn in. So as soon, oh, as, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, as soon as you clock out at the end of the day, uh, they use your time data. They know you're going to get paid for eight hours. You could actually just get that money early. And deposit they're floating the, yeah, they're floating the cash to the employees, but the employer can still keep their every two-week pay schedule. Yeah, this will be the death to payday loan places for sure. They'll I keep, hope so. You, you won't need one. You'll just, hey, yeah. I, I'm, I need uh, I to put braces on my well, kid. Yeah, yeah you're, and studies show that if your employees get paid every day using this, they are more productive because they see the fruit of their labor right away. That's it for me. All right. Well, hey, uh, Rachel... If people want to connect with you online, where's the best place for them to do that? Best place is Twitter at Fishbooks, F-I-S-C-H-B-O-O-K-S. And how about you, David? Uh, at David Leary. And I am at Blake T. Oliver. And if you want to do us a favor, leave us a review on iTunes or on your podcast player of choice. We will read it on the air. And David, I forgot, did we miss any this week? I think we, we didn't get any this week, right? No reviews this week, but you know what would be great, just as good as a review? What's up? Is when you're, you know, at dinner with one of your accountant friends, your bookkeeping friends, pull out their phone and subscribe them <laughs> to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. You tried to do this at some conferences recently, David, and like people did not want to give you their phones. No, nobody wanted to let me touch their phone and do that. But hey, yeah. you know, if, if it's a friend, you can I do that. Say, go, like, I will hey. say I got an email from a partner at a firm that I've been working with for a while now. And he said, so I'm listening to this cloud accounting podcast. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I told you to listen to that. And he goes, I'm listening to this, this podcast and, and they've said your name a couple of times. And he goes, it sounds so cool. So anyway, people are listening, even if they're not reviewing yeah. yes somebody at the conference cool. in la came up to me like it's always good when somebody you absolutely never met before you don't know and they're like i listen to yeah. the podcast that's yeah. great and that's so it, great it's always really good that people really listen to us it's great so yes thank you all to all our listeners for helping us get to this point we are almost at 100 episodes we are like this is i think 99 i, I i'm not sure because the order publishing order <laughs> may change but we're very close and if we haven't already hit it and thank you everyone who has helped us get this far. It's crazy to think where we've come in, in really just about a year. And hopefully we'll get more cloud accountants into the podcast world and beyond in the years to come. For sure. Awesome. Good. 
Thanks, Rachel. Good to, good to talk to you. Bye, David. Bye, everybody. Thanks for joining. Yeah, you too. Bye.